We really can't predict the future because nobody can. What we can do, though, is help auto manufacturers recognize, prepare for, and profit from whatever comes next. Auto Supply Chain Profits gives you timely and relevant insights and best practices from industry leaders. It's all about what's happening now in the automotive supply chain and how to prepare your organization for the future, because the auto supply chain is where the money is. Welcome to another episode of Auto Supply Chain Profits, and with us today is the one and only Bill Hurls. Bill has deep, deep knowledge of the supply chain. You know what's funny, Bill? I started to do some research on you before this recording, and I looked at LinkedIn, and there's just one line. It says, former retired executive director of supply chain at General Motors. Well, Bill, we'd love to find out how did you end up in the automotive supply chain as your career? Well, Kath, you know, my path was kind of unique in the respects that formal education, I started with an engineering degree, a mechanical engineering degree and an MBA and started with General Motors and working in the engineering side of the business and spent the first five, six years in engineering. And then I came to a point of transition. One of my mentors uh, suggested that I get some manufacturing experience. I moved into a role actually as a skilled trade supervisor, spending a few years working in the the maintenance area of one of our transmission plants. And then uh, an opportunity came along to move into manufacturing. So I moved into manufacturing as a general supervisor and then became what they refer to as an area manager, heading up the assembly side of our transmission plant. And during that time, GM was focusing on lean manufacturing, a la Toyota production system. In my role of manufacturing, I was working very closely with our materials management. As we were starting to implement, I would say, early generation of just-in-time inventory, TPS, lean manufacturing, we're starting successfully to start to see some of the benefits of that, the changes in the workplace. And the plant manager approached me one evening about moving into heading up the supply chain side of the business. At a plant level, your supply chain organization includes your supply chain operations, your purchasing, your supplier quality, all the scheduling and planning. And that was my first introduction into that role. I remember telling the plant manager, I said, I'd love to take on the opportunity. But to be honest, I don't have any formal education in that. He goes, I think we can succeed. So I spent a couple of years in that role, I was uh, then moved to a divisional role. I went down to the Saturn Corporation with General Motors plant down in Tennessee, where I was the vice president of purchasing and supply chain and supplier quality. And then following that, I returned and I took on a role as our North America head of uh, supply chain. And then in the last few years, I was responsible for our global supply chain. It was a path that I hadn't necessarily planned but it was an area that I really enjoyed doing. Wow. Well, I'm interested to find out to what extent were you able to bring lean into your supply chain activities? It began at the plant level, as I'd mentioned, and GM had created what we called the Green Book. It was a kind of a guideline and and some experts that had really studied Toyota production. We were able to move to a minimal line side presentation of components we worked with delivery. And, and when you really look at lean in an operation, it's all about waste elimination. 
how do we right-size the presentation to support the operator? How do we improve quality? How do we minimize inventory? And, and the ironic part is uh, the plant that I was at was actually in Warren, Michigan. One of my earlier assignments was to build a big stacker building for holding. We talked about having 10 to 15 days of inventory, and we're very proud of that. As I moved into lean applications, the goal was to eliminate that warehouse. We said we don't need that. You know, implementing lean, it's a, it's a continuous journey. You can always improve. As I matured in my knowledge and as we implemented further, we really tried to look at it from a total enterprise standpoint. At a plant level, I'm very focused on from a local application. But as you moved into a division or corporate role, really trying to look at the entire system, tying in containerization, your logistics, your scheduling, your capacity control. That's so amazing. And, you know, I remember the days when I worked at GM and we had, like you said, weeks of inventory, like literally floating overhead in the mezzanines, if you remember that in the buildings there. I've heard a lot since really the semiconductor crisis over the past year and a half, almost two years now, that organizations are saying, well, lean doesn't work because look where we're at. We should, you know, we should have had more inventory so that we could buffer the impacts of COVID and and the semiconductor. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a myopic look at lean or just-in-time. What we have to remember is lean is really a system. It's not an event. And, and within that whole system, inventory buffering is one of the strategies that you want to optimize. And I think sometimes people just look at that because we've run out of parts. The whole system doesn't work. And to me, that's not correct. That's a myopic look at the entire system. Yes, I agree that the buffering and really the management of, I would call it tiered supply, because most of your semiconductors are components that are provided to a tier one or tier two that then ships to you. And really the risk mitigation of that component has not been properly planned. Now, we've had some pretty drastic situations that have occurred that have led to that. But I think it does point out that it's really critically important that suppliers and OEMs look deeper into their supply chain and look at not only buffering, but I'll also say even control of that inventory. And I think in today's world environment, especially as unfortunately of what's occurring in the Ukraine, there's a lot of discussion about some of the raw materials being constrained. I'm sure that our colleagues in this area are digging deeper, but I would really suggest when they say just in time doesn't work, I don't think that's an accurate assessment. And I think organizations should avoid making change. I think what we got to do is improve the process. Bill, what do you believe are the root causes of the chronic supply chain issues that we're facing today? I think there's a, a number of items that are leading to that today. One is really that lack of visibility into the supply chain. I think organizations have good visibility, good control of their tier ones. But I think as you go deeper in that supply chain, many organizations are invisible to what the inventories are, what should be maintained, and really controls of that. And I think semiconductors has, has really surfaced as a, an example of that. But I think that's, that's one, one cause of today. I think the second is the integration of the information. You know, we often hear about blockchain which is really, in my vernacular, or my understanding, really visibility end-to-end, almost cradle-to-grave type uh, understanding. Most organizations don't have that, and most OEMs don't have that. 
as you look deeper and as you think about not only information that you understand, but also more efficient communication of requirements of planning. We often lack that. So we really depend on, I'll call it manual handoffs of information from tier to tier to tier. And so that, that becomes a problem. And I think we also got a shortage of talent and skills, especially with uh, what's what's occurred in the industry. As the OEMs came out of bankruptcy, there was a, a lot of employees in positions reduced as capacity re- reduced. And then now with COVID, it's caused a huge changeover. So I think you also have a lot of needs from a talent standpoint. Just to add on to that, what do you think if you were um, in your role today as the executive director of supply chain at General Motors, if you went back to that role and today, what would you do to get down to that lower level of the supply chain? What do we have to do differently? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a that's a really challenging question. You know, I've often thought about reaching out to my the person that has replaced me, uh, Dave Leach, who is an incredibly uh, smart manager and director. And we do talk off. First area, I think I would really be looking at what are my critical components? I mentioned earlier what's happening today. I, I think I'd begin to put, you know, maybe it's even a task force to really deep dive what is our, our risk and really understanding and working with the other functions, engineering and quality. How do we put together mitigation plans, both for availability, but also for capacity? And also, what are options? One of the challenges in, in the semiconductors is another good example. You can't instantaneously change suppliers or product. Many of these products uh, require validation. You can't make a change without going through a rigorous protocol for the good of the customer and the good of the quality for the customer. And some of these can take up to a year. I would be focused on, on where the shortages are. And then simultaneously, I'd be looking at the talent of my organization. Many of the young college graduates that are coming into the workforce today are very, very skilled. I've had the opportunity to work closely, as you guys know, uh, working with Wayne State and AIAG and training and teaching. But I, I think one of the gaps that we got to continue to focus on is how do we provide continuous education for experienced people? It's an area that I've focused on, as, as you know, since I retired, is how do we bring the skill sets up of all people? Entry level is very strong today with graduates in supply chain and procurement, logistics. But I do think that an area of opportunity is continue to help all of our employees grow. That would be the other area I'd be focused on. How do I continue to increase the skills of my team? Yeah, so it sounds like is that it's really about building the foundation and the systems of supply chain versus just reacting constantly to what we're we're being bombarded with on a daily basis. Now, Bill, you're familiar with the 24 essential supply chain processes that Terry and I have identified uh, and really are looking to weave into organizations' management systems. How would you recommend organizations adopt those 24 essential supply chain processes? That is a real foundation to help, and in, in, as I just mentioned a minute ago, as we think about experienced employees and even new, it's a whole system. And most people in, in supply chain will, will work in an area of it, especially in an OEM, where you're such a large, broad business and you have such a large number of parts and suppliers. Often people are kind of siloed for a portion of their career or the assignment they're currently in. What's great about the 24 essential steps is it gives you a holistic understanding of the entire system. What I would encourage and and embrace is that all employees within the the area of procurement or supply chain logistics 
But just as importantly, some of the organizations that, that marry up with you, such as supplier quality and engineering, having them understand the system, it's not extremely complex, but often we don't understand how the pieces fit together. And the, the 24 essential steps really give people a broad understanding. I, I know it was built out of the MMOGLE information that was gathered under AIAG. It's an outstanding foundation to broaden people's knowledge and skills and understanding. And what I like is how it's been written. It's very easy for people to follow. The 24 steps uh, is, is much simpler and much more applicable to the auto industry. Yeah, Bill, we really agree. We, we really have to break these silos down. It's, a, it's prevalent in our industry, and I totally agree with you. You know, that's what Kathy and I were really thinking we put that together. Supply chain quality, like you said, engineering, IT, getting together at the same table and working together uh, to look at those, we think is going to be really helpful. Yeah, and I think sometimes you bring up IT. It's an area that sometimes we look at IT as a solution, and I don't think it is. I think it, it is a part of the system. It's a very, very important part. No doubt, capabilities are advancing very rapidly in what can be done. The question then becomes, how fast can my teams adopt to that capability and how applicable is it to my existing systems? How do I integrate that into my existing MRP? But I do think that's both an opportunity and a challenge. And I think it needs to be done in sync with your suppliers. Yeah, and I love that you are so supportive of the younger generations, encouraging them to pursue careers in the automotive industry. And I'm finding that their expectation is, why are we not automating and utilizing all this great technology that's available? And when they come in and they're faced with a green screen or an Excel spreadsheet, they're like, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, uh, Tom Linton, I don't know if you're familiar with Tom, he's written a number of, of books on supply chain, and he's a real strong advocate of, of applying AI. And I think as you look at the future of supply chain capabilities, as Tom points out, a lot of information goes through manual handoffs. If you think about it, as we adjust buffers or as we adjust for a supplier's performance or our own needs, it's generally done manually. People go in and input. They, they make a change on a min-max setting or whatever, or delivery time or delivery frequency or container set. That can be automated. And I think that's going to be the opportunity of the future is because it's all about velocity. How do I move material faster? How do I know where the information is? How do I flow information down through the supply stream quicker? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that was really what motivated Terry and I to dig into identifying these 24 essential supply chain processes was we realized as we move more towards online sales of vehicles, the back end has got to keep up with the expectations of consumers. And let's face it, in the Amazon world, everybody wants their stuff in two days. <laughs> yes. And when you look at AI, I agree, Bill, it's so exciting to think that we can have information if we put it in the system and everybody has access to it and it's it becomes more and more accurate to get to a predictive, right? To understand exactly, you know, what our position is and to suggest, hey, you need to go look at this because the data is looking at multiple areas and saying, hey, this looks like there's going to be a problem. Maybe it's a problem supplier. You know, it's looking at quality supplier data and it's telling you, hey, this supplier might be having trouble before you even know it. Absolutely. Hey, Bill, if you were to boil all of this down into one specific action that auto manufacturers must take now to ensure the success of their supply chains in the future, 
one thing, what would that be? I think the OEMs need to take more control of some of the sub-tier components. I really believe that today, through a tool that's often used as directed by, we may define what the component or the raw material is to be, because that's what we're validating, but we don't really control it. We count on the tiered supply base, and it may be a tier one, tier two, to do that. I think what has to happen is, especially in, I'll call it at-risk components or commodities, the OEMs need to have a better control of that. As I look at other industries and electronics, and I use Apple as an example, they have a much more defined responsibility there. I could see a day where the OEMs actually purchase the material, maybe even warehouse it, and then distribute it. So that is that you're able to control both quantity and usage. And, and tied in there is also complexity reduction. If you look at it, it's very easy. And I mean, semiconductor is an example. There's many different producers of semiconductors. Maybe it's a handful. It's not, not thousands. As you look at streams of variation and as you try to improve quality, complexity reduction is a, a real important tool to enable that. So I, I would work in that area, Jan. I think that's where I'd put my focus is, especially in light of today's environment, uh, we need to help manage our own destiny at a, at a stronger level than we ever have in the past. And there it is. Manage your own destiny. Supply chain insights from one of the best. Bill Hills, thank you for your time today. Uh, it's my pleasure. Are you ready to find the money in your supply chain? Visit www.autosupplychainprofits.com to learn how, or click the link in the show notes below.